This morning is the last in our summer series on prayer. Next week, we're going to start a new series on mission. So I thought this morning we'd think a little bit about praying from the nation. And our passage is from the Old Testament, and it's the bit where King Solomon, despite what anything might have said in an earlier song, King Solomon had just finished building the temple. And the temple was where God came to live with his people. It was the, the overlap of heaven and earth. So this bit in the Bible that we're reading is kind of the high point of the story of Israel. God had rescued the people from slavery in Egypt. He brought them into the promised land. And David and Solomon had brought worship of the one true God right into the centre of the kingdom. Fantastic. Surely now the nations will be blessed. Surely now the promises to Abraham would be fulfilled. It all looks so good. And yet it all went wrong. From Solomon onwards, the Old Testament tells the story of Israel falling apart. Ain't that just life? Just get everything together. At last, everything starts working. And the moment that happens, things start to unravel. Because we're not in God's new creation yet. Things are going to be a mess some things are going to be absolutely amazing and wonderful and some things are going to be awful and a total mess and they're going to be right alongside each other. That's the resurrection, amen? Yeah. The resurrection, woohoo! There will be the resurrection and first there will be death. <coughs> Very timely, Chris, thank you. <laughs> All this makes me think of Britain. This church is a wonderful mix of so many nations. I wonder how many languages we have this one. Can we try a little experiment? I would like to find out how many languages we can say Jesus is Lord in this morning. We've done this before. It was quite cool. So I thought we'd do it again this morning. Okay, so if you... I'll start with English, shall I? Jesus is Lord. Right, if you know Jesus is Lord in a different language, can you just shout it out? Fantastic. There's at least 10 Jesus is Lords. That's pretty credible, isn't it? A whole little slice of heaven right here. All of these different languages and tribes and tongues in the same place. But as I think about Britain, and as I think particularly about the UK and particularly about the North East, this place has an amazing spiritual history. Now, of course, it was never perfect. Loads of people went to church and a lot of it was empty religion. People just doing what society expected them to do without the distraction of TV and internet and wall-to-wall -wall shopping. But there was lots of faith. There was real faith. The Bible shaped our laws. Men and women gave their lives. They packed their belongings in a coffin in order to go to the nations and share the gospel. 
And the gospel was public knowledge in this country. And so as I think about our nation, as I think about Western Europe as a whole, we're like the prodigal continent. We were richly blessed spiritually, we were richly blessed materially, but we've abandoned our Heavenly Father. And we've squandered his riches on our pleasure rather than on his service. And so as a nation, we are in a right mess. We're in a mess financially, we're in a mess socially, we're in a mess with our health, we're in a mess with our morality, we're in a mess politically, we're in a mess environmentally. What we're seeing is exactly what you would expect to see if a nation cuts its anchor to God. We've abandoned God and we've stepped out from under his blessing. And so as a nation, as a culture, slowly we're dying. Slowly, you're being overwhelmed by chaos. Now let's come back to our passage. God knew that Israel would unravel. God knew that Europe would unravel because that's what happens to fallen humans, isn't it? We muck it all up. At the high point in our passage, just as the temple was being established, God said this. Can we get verse 14 up on the screen for me, Matthew? Let's read this together. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. In other words, God says, you are going to wander off into sin and wickedness. But when you've done that, if you'll turn, if you'll come back, if you'll seek me, I will forgive you, I will heal your land. This is the heart of God. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. The heart of God is to forgive and to heal. But if that is going to happen, that requires repentance, that requires us to turn around. It says the same thing in some beautiful verses in Isaiah 30. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. You know what the next bit says? You would have none of it. Indeed. You said, no, we're going to flee on horses, and therefore you'll flee. And you said, we will ride off on swift horses, and so your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away until you're left, like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. But listen to this. Yet the Lord longs be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. That's the heart of God right there. 1 Timothy 2 tells us that he wants who to be saved? All men to be saved. 2 Peter 3 tells us that God wants no one to perish. There is not a woman, man or child on this planet who does, God does not love 
that God does not want to save. Amen? Amen. If there is any unwillingness for someone to repent and be forgiven and restored and receive eternal life, then the scripture is very clear that unwillingness does not lie with God. Amen. Yes. But there's something else in our passage today that's really important. Let's read together verses 15 and 16. And notice the really important thing here, the temple. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name will be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. If revival and renewal was going to happen for Israel, the temple would be right at the centre. Now, of course, Israel fell apart, and in the great collapse of Israel, the temple was destroyed and later had to be rebuilt. Fast forward about 950 years to Jesus. Jesus is standing in the second temple, and Jesus tells the people this. If you destroy this temple, <coughs> I will raise it again in three days. And the people went, what? This is 40 years of civil engineering hard work, and you're going to do it in three days. And John, who recorded the story, wanted us to understand what was really happening. He said, no, 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 it's not about the building. It's about Jesus' body. In other words, John was saying Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the place where God dwelt. Jesus is the place where heaven and earth met. Fast forward a few more years, Jesus is crucified, he's raised, and his body ascends to heaven. And then, a little after that, God sent his spirit and the church was born. And the writers of the New Testament describe the church filled with God's spirit as the new temple, the place where God dwells, the place where heaven and earth meet. So in the Old Testament, the temple is a building in the middle of Jerusalem. In the Gospels, the temple is the body of Jesus. In the New Testament, the body of the temple is the church. And by the church, I don't mean the institution, I don't mean this building, I mean, everyone everywhere professes Jesus as Lord and is filled with his spirit. So let's try and bring all of this together. Our country, like Israel, has wandered off in sin and rebellion and is in a terrible mess. What Jesus said to the church in Laodicea could easily be said to the UK or to Western Europe. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. Do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But God's heart is to forgive, to heal, to renew, and to restore. And if that's going to happen, there needs to be repentance. And if that is going to happen, the place it needs to start is the temple, is here, in church. It's an extraordinary little phrase in that passage that's on the screen. My eyes and my heart will always 
God's eyes and his heart are in our midst. The only true hope for our nation is not politics, it's not the media or the economy or the environment, it is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if our nation is going to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, then it's going to be from us, his church. We carry the only message of ultimate true hope for the world. Four questions to finish with. Do we see it? Do we want it? Are we willing to seek God for it? And last one, are we willing to stop praying and do something? First one, do we see it? Most people, sadly, are blind to spiritual reality. Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and being given marriage, up until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Do we believe we're all going to die? Do we really believe that as more than just a sentence? Do we believe that one day Jesus is going to come back and judge the world? Have we thought through what that means for how we spend our lives? That's a very, very healthy thing to spend time thinking about. Number two, do we want it? Some people see spiritual reality, but Jesus never makes it far enough up their priority list. Luke 14 says this, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. And the time of the banquet came, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field and he's going to see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married so I can't come, can I? What are the things that get in the way of us really pursuing Jesus? I would come, Lord, but I must make more pizza. I would come, Lord, but I need to do some more overtime. I would come, Lord, but the grandchildren. I would come, Lord, but, but friends. Question three, are we willing to seek God? In our passage today, God will forgive us and heal our land if, if, big if, my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. If we humble ourselves, in other words, if we put him before everything else. If we will seek him, in other words, if we'll bend our backs in prayer and in reading the Bible and in worshipping and being part of his family and serving him. If we turn from our wicked ways, i.e. if we actually live out what we say we believe, if we will do those things, then he will forgive us and he heal our land. Last one, number four. Are we willing to stop praying and act? 
Am I serious? Am I actually exhorting us to stop praying? I had some friends of mine, and they were running a, a training session for a group down in London on sharing your faith. And so they gave the training, and then they were going to have a time of prayer, and then they were going to put it into practice and go out and actually share their faith with students on a university campus. So they did the training, and then they had the prayer time, and, and the group had arranged for some to come with a guitar. So they started playing their guitar, and they, they play some worship songs. And then, after a few worship songs, my friends who put on the train said, all right, are we going to go out now and go and talk to some people about Jesus? And they said, oh, no, 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 we're going to stay here and carry on worshipping while you go and you talk to people about Jesus. Were they more spiritual? And no, they were not. They stayed put, they played guitars, they waved their arms around in the air, they pursued some sort of spiritual experience, and they pretended to be spiritual, when actually they were just plain scared, stupid. Whilst the community around them were lost in darkness and death without the gospel. But I'm sure it was very nice guitar playing. That's what I mean by stop praying. By all means, pray as we go. That's absolutely fine. But if we think praying means that we don't need to go, then we're dead wrong. Because God longs to forgive us. God longs to heal us our dark and broken land. And that will happen if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Do we see it? Do we want it? Will we seek him? Will we move from talking a good game to sharing Jesus? Let's take a moment and pray, shall we? If you feel like you'd like to, please feel free to stand and I'll, I'll pray for us. Let's stand together. Lord, this is an easy message to deliver and a scary and difficult one to put into practice. So please have mercy on us. Please will you give us courage and boldness. Will you put particular people into our heart and mind who we can pray for? Will you give us insight into how we can love them and serve them? And will you give us courage to name you with them? And as we move from a series on prayer to a series on mission. Father, may you share your joy and your heart with us and bring other people to faith in our midst. You're amazing, Lord. We love you. We need you. And we pray that you would set the fire of your spirit on the altar of our hearts, that we might burn for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.